Hello and welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's February 24th, 2023, and this is episode 98. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Just like my blog, moviespastandpresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's do this thing. New in theaters, actually, this one opened on last week, is Marlowe, which is a crime thriller from Briarcliff Entertainment. It's directed by Neil Jordan. Uh, as you know, Philip Marlowe is a fictional, hard-boiled detective. He was created by the American-British novelist and screenwriter Raymond Chandler. Uh, this character famously made his de- debut in Chandler's 1939 crime novel, The Big Sleep and was featured in uh, other novels and stories. Um, different actors have portrayed Philip Marlowe in big screen adaptations of, of uh, Raymond Chandler's stories. Uh, most notably, Humphrey Bogart played him in the 1946 adaptation of The Big Sleep, uh, which was directed by Howard Hawks. It also co-starred Bogart's uh, wife, Lauren Bacall, uh, there was a 1978 film adaptation of The Big Sleep that starred Robert Mitchum uh, as the title character. Uh, that film was directed by Michael Winner. Uh, other actors have, have played the role on film and television, including James Caan, Powers Booth, um, Thomas Honnick, Philip Carey, actors I don't know. <laughs> uh, so while Raymond Chandler died in 1959... The character of Philip Marlowe, you know, lives on. Um, there's the, so this particular film, Marlowe, as it's simply called, is based on a, a novel that was written in 2014 called *The Black-Eyed Blonde* um, by uh, an author named John Banville, who, as my research uh, uncovered, writes under the pen name Benjamin Black. Um, you know, the more you know. Uh, so so Marlowe, as you know, not a big surprise, uh, is a crime thriller. It's set in the late 1930s. Again, you know, not a big surprise there. Uh, it's uh, 1930s Los Angeles and centers around, shockingly, the streetwise but down-on-his-luck detective Philip Marlowe. Uh, in this film adaptation, who's, he's played by Liam Neeson. Uh so Marlowe is hired to find the ex-lover of a glamorous heiress who is played by Diane Kruger, uh, who also is the daughter of a well-known movie star who in the film is played by Jessica Lange. Uh, this disappearance of the ex-lover unearths a web of lies, and soon Marlowe was involved in a dangerous, deadly investigation where everyone involved has something to hide. Uh, I hope this is going to be good. It just kind of got, you know, snuck in the release schedule. Uh, it was dated as a film of 2022. I wonder, you know, so, so for whatever reason, it got uh, delayed. That's happened a lot, I think, with uh, COVID, et cetera. But anyway, let's hope that Marlowe's going to be an entertaining uh, crime drama. Uh, it's rated R by the Motion Picture Association for Language, Violet Content, Some Sexual Material, 
and brief drug use. Uh, starting today in theaters, uh, now for something completely different, is Cocaine Bear. This is a horror comedy from Universal Pictures. It's directed by Elizabeth Banks. Uh, this is, if you've seen the trailers, you know, this movie just looks so bizarre. Uh, it's inspired by by a true story uh, that happened in 1985. Uh, a drug runner's plane uh, crashed, and uh, the cocaine that was in the plane, you know, went to the ground, and uh, there was a black bear nearby who happened to eat it. And uh, so... The, it just fueled the bear's rampage for more blow and for blood. <laughs> um, this this movie uh, is a wild, dark comedy, and and it finds an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converging in this Georgia forest uh, where this plane crash was and where this 500-pound apex predator uh, ingests a staggering amount of cocaine. Uh the film's got a very eclectic cast. It's got Carrie Russell, uh, O'Shea Jackson, uh, Brooklyn P- uh, Prince, Alden uh, Ehrenreich. Um, I'm sorry, Alden. I'm sure I'm saying I, I always have pro- trouble pronouncing your name. Uh, Tyler Ferguson. Anyway, it, go, it, go, it goes on and on. And then Ray Liotta is in it too. So, and as I mentioned, it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, who... You know, it was also uh, 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 a, a good actress. So this looks to be like a very uh, unique film. I'm probably going to be passing on it, uh, given its R rating. It's rated R by the Motion Picture Association for bloody violence and gore, drug content shocking, again, and language throughout. Uh, and then just one other film that just kind of quietly opened uh, this weekend is a comedy drama called My Happy Ending. It's from Roadside Attractions. It's directed by Tal Granite and Sharon Maimon. It stars Andy McDowell, who plays, uh, you know, not unlike herself, a famous actress who goes incognito. She's been diagnosed with cancer and goes incognito to seek treatment. Um, while she's getting her chemotherapy, she meets three unique and remarkable women. Uh, an aging rocker, a young mother, and a forever single retired school teacher, and together they help uh, they help this you know uh, actress played by Andy McDowell uh, face adversity with humor and camaraderie while coaching her for the most challenging role she has ever played herself. So uh, you know this preview looks like it could be a good movie, uh, probably a tearjerker. Let's hope. Let's 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 hope it's it's uh it's hopeful and good. My happy ending is rated R for language and for brief drug use. Classic Cinema Corner, I just wanted to give you all a heads up uh, to save the date uh, on March 5th and 8th, uh, Casablanca is going to be uh, 
on the big screen. Uh, it's part of Fathom's Big Screen Classics series. And if you've never seen Casablanca, this is a, be a great chance to do it, particularly to see it on the big screen. Uh, it's a Warner Brothers film, and Warner Brothers has got a new uh, 4K, so a super high-definition print of it. It's also available uh, to, for purchase on Ultra 4K uh, and, and Blu-ray discs. And I, I, I'm excited to check it out. This is just one of my all-time favorite movies. And and to be able to see this beautiful new print is, is pretty uh, exciting. The film is celebrating its 80th birthday, if you can believe that. That's a great milestone. Uh, and it's just one, I think, that holds up incredibly well. I think if you go see it, you'll realize it's one of the most oft-quoted films. Uh, but it's just got this wonderful story that's that's just this 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 great romance that's so that's so compelling. Uh, it's set in in Casablanca uh, during World War II, and Humphrey Bogart plays uh, a nightclub owner in the city of Casablanca called, uh, named Rick Blaine. And this nightclub is, is frequented by all sorts of people. Many of them are refugees that are desperate to get a visa to be able to get out, to get out of Casablanca. Um, despite the ever present human misery that's going on, Rick manages to, to uh, keep his distance and to stay, to stay uninvolved. Um, but all that changes when, when, uh, Ilsa Lund, who's played by the luminous Ingrid Bergman, uh, walks to the front door of Rick's club and it turns out that they, they've had a, a, a past together and it, it reawakens both torment and, and, uh, hope into Rick. And so Rick has got to, they all have to make choices, uh, if they, if if Rick and Elsa want to stay together, Elsa's uh, actually married to another guy. Uh, <laughs> um, again, you have to see, you know, see the movie to get to uh, to get the details. Who's play, who's played by the actor Paul Henry, and and then uh, they both have to decide what whether I guess they all have to decide what they're going to do. So anyway, this film has just has got an enduring quality to it. I never tire of it. And I can't wait to see Casablanca again on the big screen. Again, March 5th and 8th. Uh, for more information, go to fathomevents.com. I'll have a link to that in the podcast notes on my blog. reviews i'd like to talk about the new marvel studios film ant-man and the wasp quantumania this is the third ant-man focused film and of course ant-man has been in in multiple other uh marvel films from from uh this marvel cinematic universe which is really um in my eyes just a lot of fun so uh, i'll keep this review spoiler free but what 
is going on in this film is that Ant-Man, who is played by Paul Rudd again, uh, and the Wasp, who is uh, played by Evangeline Lilly <laughs> again, along with along with the Wasp parents, uh, Doctor Hank Pym, who's played by Michael Douglas, Douglas, excuse me, um, Janet Van Dyne, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, along with Ant Man, uh, Ant Man's daughter. His name's Cassie. Uh, the five of them get sucked into the quantum realm. And then they've got a big adventure trying to figure out how to get out of it. Now, the quantum realm has played a, a role in all of these Ant-Man movies. And it's also leaked into some of the Avengers movies and particularly Avengers Endgame I just did a little bit of research on what they're doing, how to even define the quantum realm, because uh, that I think is is going to be helpful for you if you if you're going in to see this see this film. So Jeff uh, Loveness, who is a writer on this film, uh, is quoted on Marvel.com, and I will I will put a link to this interview. Uh, or to this, you know, to this article in the podcast notes on my blog because it was interesting. Uh, he refers to the quantum realm as the as like the basement of the multiverse, uh, adding that it's this weird connector between time and space. Uh, it uh, can serve as the gateway to any one point in time. It's an access point that connect any timeline or universe. Uh, and they're saying to think of it like a central train station where it's the hub of many outgoing routes. In this case, those routes can be anywhere at any point in any time. So really it's like this great storytelling mechanism where characters can come in and out, go to, go to different time periods, different, you know, universes, uh, etc. So our five heroes Again, Ant-Man, the Wasp, uh, the Wasp parents, Hank Pym, and Janet Van Dyne, and then Ant-Man's daughter, Cassie. Uh, they all are stuck in the quantum realm, and they encounter uh, the new bad dude within these Marvel Cinematic Universe films, Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror is played by uh, Jonathan Majors. And Kang seems to be a very formidable villain. Uh, again, referring to, to uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel.com, <laughs> trying to get some research done. <laughs> Who are these characters? Uh, they refer to Kang the Conqueror as a time-traveling despot. And uh, he uses all his resources and technology from the future to rule as many universes as possible uh, while there's still time. Kang is his own worst enemy, constantly trying to prevent the future or undo the past. By doing so, he inadvertently creates variants of himself who sometimes hinder his world-conquering goals. So Kang the Conqueror is also stuck in the quantum realm, and he's built quite a universe for himself he and Janet Van Dyne have a past. 
uh, and not uh, nothing too saucy. <laughs> but you know, Janet Van Dyne was stuck in the quantum realm for like what thirty years or something, too. So uh, anyway, just to give you a little bit, of, give you a little bit of context. This film is just one big kind of sci-fi extravaganza. And man, I mean, of course, it's all in a way science fiction, but. Uh, the previous Ant-Man films were set more uh, in, in in the world as we know it. But this film, in, it, the literally 90% of it takes place in the quantum, or even 95% of it takes place within the quantum realm. It's mostly a vehicle, I think, to introduce Kane the Conqueror as a villain. But then also we, we meet some characters inside the quantum, quantum realm, and, and, and it's funky. I mean, it's like... Uh, you know, you're going into just some crazy sci-fi movie with all these different types of creatures or humanoids or, or whatnot, all these interesting buildings and landscapes. The film is really heavy on on uh, computer-generated imagery, but, again, you, you always know what, what the characters are doing, and I think that the, the, the CGI is decent, um, you know, again, if not excessive, but again, it's just also the type of story that they're that they're trying to tell. Uh, you know, stay through the credits, as as you know, what you you know you, you know that you need to do that when you see a Marvel Studios film, and and just I think just enjoy the ride. It's it's not I don't think it's the best Marvel Studios film by any by any means, but it you know it serves its purpose. I think we 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 we. Uh, have a, a fun adventure with Ant Man and the Wasp, and and uh, we we get to meet Kane the Conqueror, who I think is going to be in uh, multiple uh, films coming coming up in, in in the future. So anyway, hope you have a good time at Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. <music> Final note, I just got back from a trip to Disneyland and, uh, you know, love Disneyland, had a great time. Uh, Disneyland is really serving as the hub of of uh, the Walt Disney Company's 100th year anniversary. And so they've got, you know, decorations and uh, all sorts of food items and stuff that are commemorating this happy, uh, this happy occasion, and one of the things they've got is a brand new fireworks show uh, there at Disneyland Park. So uh, every night they've got this show. I mean, weather permitting, uh, they've got this show that's called Wondrous Journeys, and this show celebrates all of the films. So truly, all sixty-one of the films from Walt Disney Animation Studios, and. It is just a sight to behold. I absolutely love this show. So what they've got are projections that they that they put onto the castle. And if you've ever seen one of these types of shows, either at Disney or you know other places, I'm sure are, are doing it. But they can focus the way that this projection uh, is on the building 
and and it it like works in in conjunction with with the contours and textures of the building uh, itself. So that's that's really cool, particularly with with the Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland, how they do it. But what they're also doing for this show, and they've done it, Disney has done this in previous shows, but in this show they are also showing these very similar projections. Uh, up and down the facades of Main Street USA, and so on both sides of the street. So I saw the show twice. I watched it uh, closer to the castle one night, and then the second time I saw it, I stood in the middle of Main Street, about three-quarters of the way down the street. If you're familiar with Main Street, looking towards the castle, on the right side of me was the magic shop, and then on the left side of me was you know part of the Emporium. So... It was actually a fantastic place to watch it because you can still see the castle and the stuff going around there, and and uh, it was a great view of the pyrotechnics that they shoot off. But also, there's a lot of lights that they use, all these cool spotlights and different things that were that were part of the show. The, and the music's great. They recorded this original soundtrack that has all these just kind of a a very beautiful mashup of of. Uh, of course, a new song about you know associated with this wondrous journey's uh, name, but then uh, songs that we know and love from these films from Walt Disney Animation Studios. So again, just to reiterate, this this was focused solely on films from Walt Disney Animation Studios. You know, beginning with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and then then uh, ending up with with uh, you know uh, Encanto was was heavily featured, but Supposedly there is a clip from every single film from Walt Disney Animation Studios that they've incorporated into the show. The show is like 14 minutes, and so this thing, these images are just flying at you fast. And in a way, it's sensory overload, but still, I I was really quite taken with it. Uh, I, mean, I just know the little clips that I saw, I saw, particularly on the second night that I watched it when I was on Main Street, that uh, they had... The Aristocats and Atlantis. Of course, the obvious ones that you can see from, you know, let's see from the cast too, but Treasure Planet. Um, you know, anyway, it just it just goes on and on. And it's it's just uh for Disney animation fans, I think it's really is a delight. So if you're at Disneyland this year and and uh, and you love animation, Walt Disney animation, it's definitely something you know, to, to check out this wondrous journeys at Disneyland park, celebrating 100 years of the Walt Disney company. Well, that does it for this episode of the movies past and present podcast. Again, links and more information about the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Links are also on the blog. And follow me on Instagram. My handle is at moviespap, as in past and present. As always, I hope you will enjoy some good movies this week, whether they be from the past or the present. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be safe out there and dedicate yourself to the truth.